0: Hello and welcome to Short Story Rising, the podcast that celebrates the UK's best amateur writers. We showcase the best talents each week with stories narrated by me, Cassie Ryan. are so excited to be launching the podcast with a special three-part short story by an incredibly talented young writer Mia Walsh. Blink or Die is a story about love, faith and beating the odds and we know you're going to love it. Here's part one of three. They were going to kill Sam if he didn't blink. Ridiculous as that may sound, it was in fact true. He lay lucid, conscious and awake, but totally paralysed and unable to speak. If he ever escaped the prison he was in, he would truly be grateful for every movement his body allowed him to make. Blinking isn't something that usually requires a great deal of thought nor is it something that you attach much weight to, unless of course it's your only means of communication and then it becomes a great deal more important. The room he was in was still, silent apart from the rise and fall of the sighing, beeping machinery around him. He lay in darkness, he was completely aware of his surroundings, every sound, every smell, but he couldn't move. His body was locked tight, frozen. He didn't know how long he'd been like that. There was no way of judging time, but it felt like weeks. Was he dead or alive, or maybe somewhere in between? He assumed he was in a coma. But if he was, would he be able to hear everything around him? There was no way of answering his questions. Hospital staff came and went. To them, he was invisible. They spoke around him, through him, as though he wasn't there. They made decisions without consulting him. He heard every word. His body registered every prod, every needle that violated his skin. His life was in the hands of others. Others that did not think he was in the room. The loss of power was unbearable. Sam screamed at the top of his lungs, but no sound came out, like a nightmare you couldn't wake up from. I'm here! Hello! Help me! They didn't hear him. Frustration and desperation filled the room like a dank fog. Sam wept inside, because he couldn't cry. If he wanted to change his situation, he didn't have time to melt down. He needed to focus on one thing, moving his eyelids. It was like trying to move a car with the force, highly unlikely to be successful. He needed to somehow communicate with people who weren't listening. People who had already written him off. To them, he was already dead. Brain dead. He couldn't move his body, so there was no other way of getting their attention, and even an eyelid opening wasn't guaranteed to do it. What if he managed to climb the mountain, open his eyes, and it wasn't enough? That was a possibility that he needed to prepare for. It might be too late but he had to at least try. He lay trapped locked whilst two staff a man and a woman entered the room and discussed his looming death. As you know sadly we've made arrangements to end life support tomorrow at noon following consent from his family and no change in his vegetative state. The doctor was confirming logistical details with the nurse. A jolt of adrenaline ran through Sam's body. He desperately tried to move anything. His body lay heavy, unresponsive. Hang on, wait, please! I'm, I'm here! The words echoed internally in Sam. How could his family have agreed to this? without even asking him. The staff nurse nodded at the doctor. Yes, Dr Norton, I will of course make the necessary arrangements and ensure that the family are offered ongoing support. Sam panicked. You can't! I'm, I'm alive! They didn't react. The chatter began to fade as they left the room and continued on their rounds. Sam was alone again. The only card he had left to play was a blink if he could engineer one. Eyelid Morse code or something. He lay, concrete, focused and willing something to happen. Just fucking move! He growled inside, but nothing moved. He was sending the signal to his eyes, but it wasn't received. He had been trying for hours, and emotions were beginning to cloud his focus. Images of his family flashed through his eyes. He was going to miss them, and he feared that they wouldn't cope without him. As the carousel of memories spun, he remembered something from before the hospital for the first time. He'd been driving, and Millie was in the car with him they crashed. His eyes flew open. He let out a silent scream. Millie! It was one of those crisp November mornings. The pavement glistened with little frost diamonds in the sunlight. Jen was rooting desperately through her bag trying to find a lipstick, something, anything with colour to sort her face out. Getting ready on the run had become a way of life, shift life to be exact. She'd been working as a nurse for almost three years, but her body still wasn't used to the unsociable hours. She didn't function well on lack of sleep, which posed a bit of a problem when people's lives were in her hands. Bingo, she found one right at the bottom of her bag next to some old chewing gum. But it was bright red, like 1950s red. It was a little inappropriate for her first day on a new ward, but it was all she had and it would have to do. Power lips she was going to impress. Jen was a little nervous about the change in wards. She was used to the rush of the emergency room. She thrived in chaos and was cool under pressure. You wouldn't think it from looking at her. Always a little messy. She was charming in a way that made you want to look after her. But she didn't need looking after. She was highly capable, just a little untidy. She gnawed at her fingernails whilst waiting for the tube. What if I get something wrong? God, I hope I don't kill anyone. Mulling over the worst, Jen battled onto the tube and nestled reluctantly into the nook of an old man's armpit. She couldn't be late. It was the longest four stops of her life. Potent and spicy sweat filled the carriage and her nostrils. He hadn't washed, maybe ever. Next stop, freedom. But the tube paused mid-tunnel to regulate the service. Are you freaking kidding me? as it slowly gained momentum again, Jen smelt the sweet victory of fresh air as she clambered off. Ugh. Okay, calm down. You got this. You aren't going to kill anybody. Gaining reception with the tube exit in sight, her phone started to buzz. Mum, I'm on the way to work. I can't talk right now. I know, darling, I'll be quick. I just wanted to see how your date went last night." Her voice went all squeaky, weird, and excited. Jen didn't have the heart to tell her that the guy looked nothing like his profile, and that he sent her a dick pic when she popped to the loo halfway through the date. And it wasn't even a nice dick. Um, yeah, it wasn't bad, Mum. Could be some potential there. She lied. That's fantastic news, darling. Christmas is around the corner and it would be nice if you could both come to ours. Mum, we've had one date. Please relax, I'll call you later, love you. Oh, okay, all right, darling, well, good luck today then. Cheers, Mum, bye. Jen hung up the phone, cringing from the dick pic flashback. Jen was single and still in recovery from enduring a long string of past relationships. Each man more non-committal than the next. They all loved her, they just didn't want to marry her. Why couldn't she get them to commit? Each breakup left its individual scar on her like a burn. Moving on became more difficult and maintaining faith in the one almost impossible. Maybe she was meant to be alone Her job was her life, and she was mostly happy with that. Helping others gave her enormous satisfaction. She didn't need a man. She'd made it to 33 without one, and she was doing okay, most of the time. But she did feel lonely sometimes, although she would never admit to that. Loneliness was weakness. Getting back into the dating game was brutal. No one meets in real life anymore. It's all about dating apps. Constant abuse from her housemate, Lil, meant that Jen had reluctantly rejoined the apps after many failed attempts at meeting somebody slightly normal. You're going to die alone, Jen. Give it another go, for God's sake. Jen would glare at Lil. It was easy for her to say with her perfect boyfriend who proposed just after six months. She was moving out at Christmas with him, which gave Jen another reason to hate her. You smug almost married people have no idea what a singleton's go through. Oh stop whinging he's out there. You just need to learn to love yourself before you can meet Mr. Wright. Jen was ready to pop. She'd heard all this shite before. Patronising, smug, married people. There's nothing worse. Fine, I'll rejoin, just to shut you up. It sounds fun in theory, meeting new men every week, dinner and drinks. But in reality, she found it emotionally draining. A bad date could send her spiralling back to her ex with a wine-fuelled text on the train home. It was like dating roulette. Not for the faint-hearted. She never knew how the night was going to end. I'll give it one more shot, and then I'm giving up. (music) Sue Grimsby was exactly where she always was. Having a fag outside the hospital entrance. The crisp air was creating extra dramatic effect when she puffed out. Hello, love. New ward for you today, then, eh? Good luck. Thanks, Sue. Enjoy your... Jen didn't know what to say. Fag? Cheers, love. Jen entered the hospital and passed through the emergency room on her way to the intensive care unit. It was alarmingly quiet. They referred to the lulls as the calm before the storm. "'If you don't like those lot down there, come straight back,' heckled Henry from the staff room, cup of tea in hand. "'Thanks, Henny.' Jen smiled. "'I will.' She was going to miss the characters that she worked with. They made the stresses of the job that bit easier. She hung up her scarf and coat, put her lipstick in her pocket and headed for the ICU ward.' Billy. Sam's heart was pounding against the confines of his body. Light was pouring in, filling his eyes like acid. It stung, but it was a welcome pain, adjusting to the light. He tried to return to his memories to see what happened to her, but there was nothing. They were driving, and then it goes hazy. She was only ten. Is she alive? What if she's stuck in this prison like me? Oh dear God, he prayed she wasn't. His mum would kill him if anything happened to her. She was the baby of the family and Sam's baby sister. He would never forgive himself if he'd let anything happen to her. He was driving them home from the cinema via the ice cream shop. Someone must have hit us, run us off the road. Every scenario was racing through Sam's head. Was I speeding? No, no I wouldn't. Not with Millie in the car. It was raining heavily, he remembered that. Mini water bombs were attacking the windscreen. All the while he was gaining focus. Not on the memories, but on the room. It was coming into view now. The pixelated lights started to dim. The temptation to try and blink the last stars away was strong but he didn't want to attempt blinking yet. He was just grateful to be able to see something. Surely it was better to be trapped in the light than in the dark. And he was worried that closing his eyes would sentence him back to the darkness. Immediately he noticed he was looking straight ahead and not towards the ceiling as he'd imagined. The bed was tilted on an angle and his head was supported by pillows. His field of vision was small. He could only see in a straight line ahead of him. He noticed his chest rising and falling at the same rate as the machines breathing for him. There was a TV on the wall with a cooking show. They were making chocolate cake. A mixer was going round and around. There was no sound. Instinctively, he tried to turn his head, but his muscles were unresponsive. He tried moving his eyeballs left and right. Nothing. Up and down. Nothing. He could only stare forwards. He panicked. My eyes are locked too! He could see his feet at the end of the bed. His toes were poking out of the blanket. He focused on moving his right foot first. He sent a signal asking it to wake up, but nothing. He tried the left, nothing. Sam was distracted by voices in the hallway, a group of nurses walking past his room. In here! Hello! Please! he bellowed. Miraculously, they did come in. Here we have Mr. Sam Beaton, 27-year-old male, suffered a stroke whilst driving, and has been in a persistent vegetative state ever since. His family have agreed to end life support tomorrow, after no improvements in his condition since he was admitted back in September. Sam couldn't see them, but he could hear every word. Surely his family did not agree to this madness. Is it even legal? Sam was a lawyer, but this wasn't his area and he didn't know the answer. And anyway, his words couldn't help him now. He wasn't going to talk his way out of this one. Persistent vegetative state? But his eyes are open, asked Jen. The nurses peered into Sam's eyes. Although he had them open, he wasn't in control of his blinking. His body was doing it automatically. He could not blink on command. Oh my fucking god, she's noticed! Sam's heart was pounding. They had seen him. The woman with the red lips was going to save him. I love you! Oh yes, so they are. Quite common with these patients you'll find. They can open their eyes, but they don't show any meaningful responses, I'm afraid. Non-responsive to voices and the like. Oh, right, yeah, of course, said Jen. The chances of any recovery are very slim, and he would likely require round-the-clock care anyway. The nurses left the room. Quite fucking common? Sam had managed to consciously open his eyelids, and she'd brushed it off like it was some kind of side effect. He fell into a pit of despair so dark, his eyes may well have been closed again. Her words reverberated. Round the clock care. Sam tried to process the information. Until now, his survival instincts were ruling him, telling him to fight to stay alive. But if his condition was that serious, should he be pushing to stay alive? What kind of life would he have with no functionality? Would he be bedridden for the rest of his life? He needed more information, statistics, actual hard data, but he couldn't ask for it. The nurses were still talking as they left the room. We'll need you to look after him for the next few weeks as it could take a while for him to pass on once we withdraw care. Yes, of course. Jen paused, looking back at Sam laying there, eyes wide open. He seemed absent, but also present. Jen couldn't help but notice that he was a young, strapping man. Her heart ached for him, losing his life before it had really begun. Sam was one of just two patients assigned to Jen initially. That was quite a change from her average day in the emergency unit. But the ICU patients required acute care and help with every bodily function. Sam heard the voices dwindle as they continued down the hall. They had dismissed his landmark. There was no hope. He was going to die. But before he did, He needed to find out if Millie was okay. You've been listening to Short Story Rising, the podcast that showcases the UK's best amateur writers. Will Sam manage to stop them pulling the plug? Find out next week in part two of Blink or Die.